living, living, full and well, life, well, life is put together. Authentic. We feel it. Take care, Take care of, of ourselves. Hello, and welcome back to the Wishing You All podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Amy Albero, founder of Revive Center for Wellness. And I'm Catherine Van Eyck. We're both licensed therapists and wellness enthusiasts. At Revive, we are passionate about holistic practices to help you live your most authentic life. And we started Wishing You Well because living a well life isn't as simple as it seems. Because wellness isn't one size fits all, and it can be overwhelming to figure out where to start, we're bringing all the pieces together so you can figure out what fits best for you. Each episode, we'll discuss a variety of topics ranging from taking care of your mental health, navigating relationships, nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, and more. On today's episode, we have a therapist from Revive joining us. Carly King is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's here to talk to us about premarital counseling, who should do it, why it's helpful, and more. And first up, we we do have some brief announcements. Yes, we have some exciting stuff going on. Um, First up is for all of our couples out there. If you are in a relationship, listen up. Uh, If you are curious about how to improve your communication and conflict resolution, we have a group that begins on February 21st. Carly King, a podcast guest, will be facilitating this group alongside Debbie Steckler. They are both fabulous marriage and family therapists who are excited to be running this couple's group for you. And we will link all of the details in our show notes so you can sign up ASAP. Space is limited. Another one that space is also limited for is our upcoming moms group. So it's no secret that being a mom is really, really hard. And we have created a drop-in support group that starts the first Tuesday in February and goes all the way until June. So it's going to be the first Tuesday of every month. And it's run by Angela Martello, who is one of our therapists here at Revive. So definitely check out the link with all the details in our show notes for that too. And again, space is limited for that one too. One more announcement we do have is our Reactivity TV is up and running on our YouTube channel. It's all about the new season of The Bachelor, the first episode, week one. Amy and I have a lot to say on first impressions, on what it's like to force it in a relationship, on the spark and the the role of affirmations. Yes. So much to say. Um, So definitely check that out on our YouTube channel, which will also be linked in the show notes. I did just want to take a minute to thank you for being here, for listening, for following along with us. Um, If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, um, please follow us. Um, Give us a follow. Give us a rating. Share a review with us. if you've done it, thank you. If you haven't, what are you doing? <laughs> Please do it. Please do it for us. Um, we we just want to hear from you. We want to know what um, what you're enjoying, what you'd like us to discuss. Uh, it helps us help you better and also helps us get the word out uh, to others in uh, a more broad audience. So thank you. We are happy to have Carly here today and would like to give her a proper introduction. Carly King earned her bachelor's degree in public relations with a minor in business from Penn State University, followed by a master's degree in marriage and family therapy from Capella University. 
She is a certified prepare enrich facilitator and is experienced running couples groups. Carly is driven by a desire to help individuals and couples from all walks of life develop, repair, and sustain healthy and fulfilling relationships. She works primarily from a narrative therapy perspective while incorporating elements of emotional focus therapy and the Gottman method. Whether the goal is to manage anxiety, end a cycle of conflict, or prepare for a new life transition, Carly's goal is to meet clients where they are and support them in getting to where they want to be. Hey, welcome, Carly. Um, Thank you. We're so happy to have you well here with us on our podcast, but here with us on our team. I know for me, and I'm I'm speaking for all of us at Re- at Revive. We learn so much from you, not only just about um, couples, but relationships in general, and just your your view of of how you look at relationships has been so helpful. So I'm really excited for you to share your insights, particularly in this area. This is an area that I feel like I don't have a lot of like professional um, experience in. Certainly, I have some like personal <laughs> experience. So I'm excited to have you here um, and to learn from you in this way too. Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. I am excited, um, happy to be here and ready to dive in. Great. Well, we love to start our podcast, especially with guests, with one question. Um, this is a wellness podcast, of course. And so we would love to hear what living a well life looks like for you, means for you. Ooh, um, what it means to me and what it looks like don't always match up. I'm just going to be honest about that. But uh, for me, it really just means like taking care of yourself, prioritizing whatever that might be at the time. Uh, And being at peace with my decisions, I think is a big part of that. Like being able to sleep at night and look myself in the mirror is kind of like those signs of whether or not I'm actually living up to what I think a well life is. So I think it it changes in terms of what that looks like on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis. But um, yeah, it's prioritizing whatever I'm needing in that moment so I can continue to show up for others in the way that I like to. Mm-hmm. I love that. So it's most it's both action and mindset. Absolutely. 100%. Um, how do you know, how do you figure out what you need? Ooh, uh, I'm still learning that. Uh, because sometimes what I think I need isn't actually what I need. And like sometimes what I need versus what I want might be a little bit different. Uh, and like that instant gratification of something that might be satisfying in the moment, but long term isn't so great. Like that's a battle. That's a daily struggle for me. So like I need sleep and exercise and a healthy diet, but I don't always want to follow through on those things. So I think I'm just learning how to pay attention to what actually serves me or fills me back up and be honest with myself about like the long-term implications of those choices. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we, what we, <laughs> I hard yeah. relate to that. Sorry. Well, <laughs> what, what we, what we often talk about when we talked about self-care is that sometimes like, well, self-care has this 
illusion that like it's fun and it's it's rewarding and it's yeah. it's something you do want to do but you're totally right in that when you are practicing this well life you're not always doing things that you want to do you're doing things that you feel like you need to do absolutely absolutely Oh, well, thank you for for sharing that with us. And and obviously, we're going to want to hear a little bit more about your self-care later. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I guess, I mean, you're a therapist, obviously. Catherine went over your your bio. And so we heard we heard about kind of your the bullet points there. But tell us and our listeners more about what led you to the field of therapy. Yeah. So I did not always want to be a therapist. I didn't even really see myself in like a helping profession or the mental health field per se. I thought that I would do like communicate, study communications and kind of thought I'd be doing something totally different. But my experience in premarital counseling is actually what made me want to be a couples therapist. Um, I had a positive experience, but there were definitely elements that I thought could have been a little bit better or um, some information that maybe would have been helpful to be included in that. And so I found myself like kind of interested just in the field and what qualifies someone to be able to offer that help. And I mean, years later, here we are, uh, but it was actually my own experience in premarital therapy which is so perfect that we're talking about this today. (laughs) (laughs) But that is interesting. It's, it sounds like it was um, what drew you to it was, was both like that. It seemed like there were benefits and that you also saw where there were gaps too. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, not to be critical of the process, but I was just kind of saying to myself and even to my fiance at the time, now my husband, like, there's a lot more to this. We're just kind of scratching the surface, I think is how I felt. And so the idea of getting to dig a little bit deeper with couples and really talk about the stuff that matters, uh, I just love it. And I love like talking about love and people's relationships. So I'm just genuinely interested in that side of things. You're speaking to Catherine's gushy heart. (laughs) Do you love love too, Catherine? I love love, <laughs> which we all know that not all not all of couples work because all lovey dovey, unfortunately. No, <laughs> One can hope. Okay, well, well, you obviously do a lot of work with couples, and um, you do have an upcoming group that we will talk about later. Um, and in that group, it's all about couples and communication and conflict resolution. Um, but just in general, you know, besides the love part, <laughs> what, what do you like working? Uh, what do you like about working with couples? Ooh, um, working with couples is honestly really challenging at times because, you know, like you're mentioning, oh, we love love, but most couple sessions aren't about just like all these expressions of love and appreciation and gratitude. That can be a part of it. But usually if a couple is coming to see me, that often means that there's some form of like conflict, maybe that they're trying to resolve or something they're not seeing eye to eye on. And so I enjoy that process of 
trying to understand where people are coming from individually and helping them connect the dots with uh, what the other person may be missing or not understanding uh, or misunderstanding. And so I do feel like I have an ability to kind of grasp that from each individual and just kind of help them to speak the same language or at least understand where the other person is coming from. What what do you what do you think gets in the way of people kind of speaking the same language or or seeing seeing uh, seeing the same thing the same way or um, how much time? <laughs> <laughs> there are so many things that can get. It's like almost anything can get in the way. But if I if I had to boil it down, I think I would say it it usually has a lot to do with the individual's relationships with themselves and like how they understand themselves, what they're needing, what they're feeling, uh, how they communicate that to the other person. And then on the flip side, like how they're encoding the information that they're receiving, because we all get information. It's kind of filtered through our experiences, our beliefs, our biases. And so you know, a lot of times if a, if a person is unaware of that process for themselves, any sort maintaining any sort of healthy relationship is just going to be a challenge. Uh, so what gets in the way of that healthy communication? Usually it's like a lack of clarity about something internally that's not fully being like explained or expressed or understood in the couple dynamic. I don't know if that makes sense, but and that's probably not what most people want to hear because they definitely think it's the other person that's causing the problem. Right. Uh, but a lot of times it, it more so has to do with the individual. Um, that is so validating uh, to what. So Catherine and I um, in, in a recent episode, we were talking about um, relationships, um, particularly where there are, are more unhealthy dynamics that exist and and just kind of having that experience of of you know each of us um in in maybe um working with someone individually and we might be recommending that they um if if the like areas that they're bringing to individual therapy are around their relationship we might suggest you know you you would benefit from couples and it's like well i'm not the issue it's them mm-hmm. <laughs> And that. yeah, and we and Catherine and I were we're we're talking about that. That that's not it's like not possible um, when there because there's two of you in a relationship. Absolutely, it takes two people to contribute to the dynamic. So whatever you don't like about your pattern or you know how things are going, you are inevitably a part of it. Uh, even if that's in like the things you allow or a lack of boundaries or like whatever that is you're still a part of it. Uh, And just like, you know, you're sending people to couples therapy. A lot of times, one of my recommendations is individual therapy, right? Because things come up where I'm like, okay, that really sounds like something that you probably need some space to process individually so that you can better contribute to this dynamic that we're trying to create here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're, you're bringing up kind of, um, you're, you're, what you're saying is, is like raising some, some questions that I think might be helpful for us to like 
parse out or or help help our listeners understand a little bit more, which is like, so in couples therapy, it sounds like you're still aware, you as a therapist are still aware of some of the more, ind- the individual components, but it's not like you're doing individual therapy with each person in the same room. Like what is the difference between individual and couples? Like how, how do they overlap or not? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, so the primary difference, I mean, is obviously in couples therapy, the relationship is the client or is the focus, right? But our relationships are not all of us. Uh, our individual identity ca- comes into play in our relationships. And I think our relationships say a lot about who we are as individuals, but they're not like all of us. And so there's still a host of other factors that could be relevant to the couple's work, but may have like an individual root. You know, you think about something as simple as like your families of origin, which could be very different or or very similar in a lot of ways and still very different. Uh, so like when you're looking at what each individual is bringing to the couple dynamic, I would say that couples therapy is more so about what it's going to take to sustain the relationship or what the relationship may be needing that it's lacking. Whereas in individual therapy, you're able to focus a lot more on your individual needs and like what it means to you to maybe be experiencing whatever you are, even in your relationship. So they absolutely go hand in hand. Ideally, if you can do both, that's great. I know that may not necessarily be an option for everyone, but ideally, I mean, that would be the the perfect scenario is to have that individual space and then also be able to prioritize the relationship completely separately. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think like, because Amy, like what you were saying, sometimes in individual work, it it sort of feels like, oh, I kind of think that that this person could benefit from couples therapy. And it feels like we're talking about their relationship a lot, um, but I can't do the couples work because this other person's not here. Um, so, so yeah, no, it, it, when, when people take that opportunity, um, it, it can be really beneficial. When would you say that it's not necessary or beneficial? To do couples therapy? Yeah. Uh, I would say if one or both of you is not like vested in the process, one of my questions during a consultation or preferably before an intake is, are you both willing participants? If one person is dragging the other person to therapy, which I could understand why you might want to, uh, it's not going to have like the same effect. It's not going to be as helpful because when you come to couples therapy, I'm going to be like putting that mirror back up to you individually and like challenging you to change things about what you're doing or how you're contributing to the dynamic. And if all you want to focus on is the other person or you're not really bought into the idea of changing anything about what you're doing, then probably not the best time to go to therapy. You know, if, if one person is completely out the door, like they've decided, even if they maybe haven't physically left, um, that makes the work really challenging, you know, because they've kind of already made a decision 
that the relationship is either not good for them or not a priority right now, or they're not interested in doing much to work toward maintaining it. So that is probably a little late to go to couples therapy. Is there ever a time where it's too early or like, and, or, um, I mean, I know the answer to this. I'm asking a question. I know the answer to, but like, can you benefit from couples therapy, even if there isn't like a quote unquote problem? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think so. You said, you know, the answer. Is, is I was going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited when I get calls from couples who are like, yeah, we're just, you know, starting out our relationship and we just want to, you know, talk about our communication and make sure that we have a plan for it. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is wonderful, right? Because you both like still like each other and maybe want to try. So that's a great thing. I, I don't think it's ever too early. I would say with the exception of if you're not yet like committed or bought into the idea of actually forming a relationship with this person, you know, like if you've just gone on your first date and you're still undecided, might be a tad bit early to, you know, bring them to therapy. But that like early prevention and getting some skills around how you communicate and understanding more about your individual backgrounds can be really helpful in even determining if you think you're compatible, right? And if this could be a long-term relationship. So, I mean, I think there may be very few exceptions, but for the most part, I, I don't think it could ever be too early. So if, if really there's never a, a too early of a time, then let's kind of hop into our, our main topic around couples work, which is premarital counseling. So can, can you first talk a little bit about like what that is, what that looks like, um, how it might be different than regular couples work uh, that you do? Um, yeah, I'll stop there before I ask like too many questions in a row. Yeah, no. So premarital therapy is like one of my absolute favorites. Uh, and I sometimes like part of the reason for that is because of some of the stuff we just talked about, both people are typically bought in to the idea of sustaining the relationship, trying to make it healthy. Uh, and, but it's also like, before you're completely committed in terms of marriage, like if there are things that you maybe want to work through or think about before you make a final decision, it's a it's a good time to come in and kind of like do some work together to see how do you all problem solve together? How do you uh, plan your lives and your like the lifestyle that you want to live? Like, how do you all do life together? You know, that's that's kind of what we're looking at in premarital. So some aspects of it can be very similar to just regular couples therapy. But obviously, the focus at that point is you all have decided that you want to be married or that you're both interested in marriage. And so we're looking at some of the just common, I would say, uh mishaps or pitfalls and then also like best practices when it comes to what makes relationships successful and sustainable like whatever relationship you really admire what is contributing to 
you know, that dynamic? How did they get there? And so premarital is really, at least in the way that I often do it, is kind of zeroing in on what are those main topics that you definitely want to have a conversation about at the very least, maybe multiple conversations before you join your life together with someone and decide to be married. And like, just to list a few of them, those are things like, you know, finances and whether or not you want children and relationships with in-laws and like a whole host of things that you probably want to be sure to at least talk about and be clear about before you make that final decision. Mm -hmm. So, so are you, and and I just want to clarify, um, so premarital counseling seems like it's more more goal oriented like we want to figure these things out on our path to getting married uh so that once we're married that we can we're better able to tackle these things together is that right yes yes okay. and it's probably i'm probably coming with a few more suggestions on the topics that we cover than just in general couples therapy, where the couple may be bringing what they think is most important. Uh, We're absolutely going to address that in premarital, but I'm also going to be making a few more recommendations on things that we should talk about, even if it's not on their radar. Mm -hmm. So then how do you differentiate between that, which what, what you just explained and let's say a couple in a long-term committed relationship, unmarried, um, perhaps living together who um, are stating that we need to, we need to work on us or you need to work on you and pointing fingers, et cetera, that tends to happen. But um, basically we need to figure out these problems now before we even think about getting married. Mm, What's the difference? difference? Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, it's an interesting question because my initial answer, I think was like, well, there may not be much of a difference. You know, if any couple that's expressing that marriage is like the long-term goal, inevitably it kind of brings into the conversation. Okay. So if that's something you want, what are your reasons for wanting that? And what does that mean to you? Right. And what are you expecting as a result of that? And so in that conversation about their reasons for wanting to be married, we are going to talk about like, well, why do you think it maybe doesn't work for some people? And what would be some reasons that that might come up in the dynamic that the two of you have now? Right. So I don't think there there's no like mark to differentiate like you have to be engaged for this amount and be wearing a ring in order to do premarital it's really anyone who's made a decision that that could be on their long-term radar and then i'm i'm going to talk to them about okay well what does that mean and what are you expecting and how would that change the relationship if you all were to take that step mm-hmm. i w- i was just thinking about some of the things that you said like typically people bring to premarital finances, in-laws, whether or not to have children. And I think I think the three of us could probably agree that it's pretty beneficial to have those conversations before you make a decision to get married. Um, what do you think makes it challenging for people to do that maybe on their own or, or where having kind of a 
another another person in the room to help them figure out could be helpful. Yeah. Ooh, I mean, individually, some people just don't, haven't thought about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not really something they're actively preparing for or maybe don't have strong, um, <clears throat> excuse me, strong feelings one way or the other. So that could be a reason. I also find sometimes people don't want to mess up the lovey-dovey stage of enjoying each other to talk about very serious things like, you know, where do you see your career going and where would you like to live location-wise? And, you know, some of the conversations, depending on what all they entail, can be like not romantic and not really fun to have. Uh, So I think there's a lot of reasons that people might like veer away from having and try to just like stay in that state of bliss. Mm. Uh, But I think inevitably (laughs) that bliss wears out and you hit a point where you do have to face those, the very real aspects of doing life with another person. And, and it's better to have those conversations while you're enjoying each other, as opposed to waiting until it's caused tension and conflict and been avoided and then, you know, deciding, okay, maybe we should have this conversation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. When, when we, especially like in, in our reactivity TV, when we talk about like relationships playing out and like, again, like bachelor franchise esque it's like very romanticized. And Catherine and I often talk about how like, when you're, when you are kind of like planning for a future with someone, like there is, there does have to be a mix of romance and practicality and like practicality. Yeah. It's not, it's not very romantic. Um, (laughs) Dreaming of, of like a shared bank account or, or separate, Mm -hmm. separate expenses, like our budget, like that doesn't like go on your, in your like wedding wish list or, (laughs) (laughs) and I think, I think along with that, those things, uh, you know, uh, whether or not to have children, finances, in-laws, like those are also can be, or maybe I'm projecting, emotionally charged things that people have lots of feelings and opinions about. And and I imagine that can get in the way of maybe having a productive conversation. Those are loaded conversations Mm -hmm. often, Uh, can be very loaded and very emotionally charged. And so, yeah, sometimes it seems easier to not talk about or to not be fully honest about, right? Sometimes people are having the conversation at the surface, but maybe they're not like fully revealing their motivations or true, you know, wishes as it relates to some of those things. And so that can cause issues as well, because in some cases, it's like, well, we did have this conversation and you weren't totally clear or you weren't weren't totally honest about what you really wanted and why. So I think that's another thing that comes up on top of the fact that sometimes our wants and each change around those things. You know, I, I think about it, even myself, some of the things that I maybe thought I wanted or were important to me really aren't now. And some things that weren't even on my radar now like are very important. And so like those things can change and evolve. So it's not just having the conversation, but then we've got to like acquire some skills to be able to continue to have the conversation. Mm. Wow. So that resonates so hard. I'm, I'm thinking about, I was just thinking about my 
relationship with, with my husband and like that idea of what I thought would be important and what actually is. Um, and, and, and yeah, same thing, like what I didn't even consider and what is like, oh, this, this was important. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, there are, you know, we, we talk about, I, we, Catherine and I were laughing when we were recording our kind of like relationships um, episodes, because we kept saying like, relationships are hard. Relationships are really challenging. And this is part of what makes them so challenging. Yes. I listened and I was agreeing with you because I think you were kind of debating like, is that too much of an absolute? But I think you all are right. They absolutely are hard. They don't have to always be hard, but they are hard because they require a lot of self-work, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to be very clear about who you are and what you want and why you want it and be able to communicate that to another person so that you can get on the same page. And that work is constant. You know, you don't get to just do it and like pass marriage. There's no like passing. You have to maintain that day by day, by week, by year, you know? So it it is a lot of work. Well, it's, it's funny that we can wrap our heads around that outside of our relationships. And that, and yet when it comes to our relationships, we don't want to accept that that's true. We want to accept that like, oh, this is, this is what we decided. So this is what must always be when like all of us are evolving uh, in our relationships and outside of our relationships. And so it's really unfair for us to uphold the same kinds of, or uh, rather uphold a different expectation that the relationship's not going to change or that the the priorities aren't going to change or that your mind just around what's important isn't going to change because you don't do that anywhere else. So true. So true. I mean, I think there are a lot of parallels that if we were honest with ourselves, we could relate to relationships, but we don't always apply them. And like, that could be something as simple as like, you don't do something you've never done without maybe some form of training or maybe asking someone who's done it before or watching YouTube, right? Like you, you put some effort into that. And so like those same rules apply to our relationship or we don't expect to withdraw from accounts that we don't invest in, right? Like same concept, if we don't invest in our relationships, how can we expect to withdraw, you know, happiness from them? And so like, I think there are a lot of parallels that we could probably draw to very basic concepts that we do understand. We just don't always apply them to our relationships. Those analogies are gold. Thank you, <laughs> because that's so, so helpful to think about it and conceptualize it in that way. Um, and maybe that's a good place for us to, as my mind is is blown envisioning those things. Um, <laughs> to, Your mind to, needs to, a break. <laughs> to pause for a water break. Um, and then we'll be back with more specifics around premarital counseling. We are back and hydrated and Amy's mind is settled back down. <laughs> All of our minds have. <laughs> and we have we have more things that we want to know. Um, so in terms of before getting married, what do you think is helpful for couples in navigating expectations before they do get married? 
Expectations is a huge one. I mean, I, I did a whole group about it. I've actually done more than one group about it because it's what often comes into play in premarital work and just in general couples therapy. Uh, everyone's got an idea of what it means to be married and what marriage would or will look like. Uh, and oftentimes we don't share what those expectations are in a very like real tangible way. You know, we've got some picture in our minds and maybe maybe we kind of assume that our partner it absolutely has the exact same picture or it's the same picture, but like the furniture is just slightly rearranged. Uh, and sometimes like we're on totally different pages when it comes to what we think this means. So I think expectations are huge. Uh, I think they're often loaded because like your experience, if you've had any experience of witnessing marriage uh, or maybe an experience of not witnessing many marriages, then you've definitely got some ideas as to like what it's going to look like. Um, I think most people, like if you've ever uh, gone to like rent or buy a home and you go and visit and you like go to the model home you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's got all of the upgrades. You know, you love the black splash. You love the flooring. The cabinets are perfect. And then when you sit down to like sign that paperwork, you get the base model, you know, until you start adding all of those upgrades. And I feel that's kind of how marriage is, is like, we've got this picture and it looks beautiful and it's perfectly decorated, but you actually have to like build that piece by piece and all of it costs something or comes at some level of sacrifice. And so that is often, I think, where things come to a head in couples therapy is like the picture versus what I've actually got and like, why don't these things add up? So I think expectations are almost everything. Like there, it's a huge part of it. Well, and, and, and there's two people that have two different ideas that have like somebody might want that backsplash and somebody else might want that one. And so they're not only, they're not only looking at the same thing through the same eyes, they're looking at the same thing through two totally different eyes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And some, one person thinks that it's not even worth it to worry about the backsplash. They're like, we got white walls, we got, you know, the, what's the big deal, right? And to someone else, that might be really important. That might be like a significant piece of uh, what they want in their marriage. And so like, I, I think that that is so much of the work is really exploring those expectations, where they come from, how realistic they are, what it's gonna take to like actually match up to that. Um, I mean, I don't know, Catherine, you work with a lot of couples. Do, do you see that same like mismatch of expectations often? Yeah. And, and, and I think like a lot of, um, a lot of the time, you know, you said like where they come from, like, I think that that mismatch often stems from where they're both coming from, because obviously like, like I was saying, like they're coming from two totally different places. These are two totally different people with completely different experiences and upbringings and backgrounds and everything. And you, what you can't expect is for someone to look at everything the exact same way that you are. Um, 
but we so often look at it in the way that well no they should be in the same in the same boat as i am because we're married but no you're not the same person <laughs> you're just married this is two totally different things exactly um, so yeah definitely experience that a lot well and i think i think expectations get get tricky too because oftentimes expectations are associated with needs um but but oftentimes they're closer to wants. And, and I think that also gets complicated to kind of figure out like, what are the things that, well, A, having the, I guess, courage to be vulnerable enough to share what your expectations are. And then to do that in a clear way is really tough, but then to kind of figure out, well, what, what am I willing to maybe adjust my expectations around? Um, Because it's, it's not possible that you both 100% get your expectations fulfilled. Like that's not going to happen. Just like, I, I can't think of a scenario where, it, where it would. Um, and so I think that part gets really tough too, is the give and take that comes with um, meeting one another's, uh, not only meeting one another's expectation, but maybe kind of in some, t- in some ways, kind of like redefining what the expectation around what your marriage or life will look like. Um, it's almost like you have to go back to the drawing board. And, and that's where sometimes like the base, looking at it as the base model is helpful um, because it doesn't have all that extra shit that you got to demo. Mm-hmm. All that pizzazz is like <laughs> missing, right? And I'm so glad you said that about like how our expectations reflect our needs, but sometimes their wants and sometimes we have to like decipher between those, right? Because if we're not going to get everything that we expect or want, what is it that we actually need? That is like, if if we don't have this, right? If we don't have a roof, that's a problem, right? Like there are some things that are absolutely needs and then others that are kind of the bells and whistles that like, if we can get it, then great. Or if we get it sometimes, then that's awesome. But uh, we're not necessarily expecting to always get that or always feel that way mm-hmm. in our relationships. And I think that ex- expectation to feel good all the time in your relationship or about your relationship is one of those expectations that often is not realistic. What? People don't Ex- live happily ever after? <laughs> So expectations, bad, (laughs) unless discussed. I wouldn't say bad because I think they're there regardless. Mm -hmm. It's more so just how well you understand them and are clear about them and can communicate them and how you handle when they're not met. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they're bad. I think they're just, they're a part of the relationship, whether we want to acknowledge them or not but their place in relationships can like be very, um, it can really dictate Mm -hmm. how satisfied we are with where we are in our relationship. And so just to kind of get it less abstract, like some, some things people might enter into a a marriage with expectations around might be what, like, what are some, some things people have expectations about? Uh, I've heard a lot and I would love to hear what you all encounter. Uh, Some of them, just to run some off, uh, sex will be plentiful. 
Uh, I'll have someone to cook for me or take the garbage out. Uh, my family will fully embrace the other person or vice versa. And we'll have all these, these like shared family moments uh, where we're both like, I'm a part of their family and they're a part of mine. Or maybe we even have like joint things with both families. Uh, we will definitely have children or not sometimes, like usually a very clear expectation around what that's going to look like. Uh, I don't know. What else do you all run into? Also, like when you're going to have children, mm. if that is what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think along, along the same lines of what you just said, like the specifics around like, you know, which family uh, we might live close by or like what the division of labor um, like in the household looks like or what our parenting style is going to look like. Um, though all of those things that like you might just be on the same page about all of these things as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's so hard. I mean, I think I think for myself, like I went into my marriage, like with the knowledge that like, or just even it, it's a stereotype or, or generalization that like in-law relationships can be difficult. And I had thought to myself, like, I'll be the exception. And, um, and that's just not the case. You know, there's just, again, it's a completely different family and like different traditions and, and uh, also different location. And, and so because my ex, my expectation was um, inaccurate. It set me up for a lot of disappointment and and a lot of difficult situations for me to navigate um, early on in uh, in my marriage when I realized, like, oh, my expect my expectation was false. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can hard relate on from the perspective of like my husband and I, we knew each other for a while before we got married. And so I think I had an expectation that like, we know each other, like we're, we're going to be fine. Like who he is, is who he'll always be. Who I am is who I'll always be. And not that I didn't expect us to like grow or change, but that it would fit into a particular like box of what that would look like. And that's not the case, you know, like things do change. And even if you know someone really well, they can surprise you in positive and negative ways, mm -hmm. right? So I think we all, whether we realize it or not, we have some expectation around like, oh, this is how it will be, or what well, this part, like we won't struggle with that because we agree on that. Mm -hmm. We may not always agree on that. And so this idea that I will be the exception or we will be the exception, uh, I, I hope you're right. You know, but the reality is that you'd be better off probably safeguarding or at least having some tools for how to handle it should that not always be the case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another big kind of expectation I think I, I hear people have is that things will be drastically different once we get married. Mm. And that's also not usually the case. That's a big one. That's a big one. Like the idea that marriage will change certain things about your relationship that maybe have always been uh, is usually not 
necessarily true. Oftentimes, you know, others' expectations of us may change when we get married, the, like family's expectations, you know, may change and things like that. But in reality, you're still the same two people having to, here we go, do life together again. And so, you know, it's day one to day two to day three kind of looks like the day before. Over time, things start to change, but there's no like magic, you know, there's no fairy dust that gets sprinkled over your relationship with marriage. It's still just like your choices and their choices and how those (laughs) combust at times or maybe mesh really well, you know? Yeah, that is that is what it boils down to. <laughs> In the simplest of forms, you know. <laughs> so so if if sometimes if, mo- if most of the time things end up changing um and yet whether whether somebody goes to premarital counseling or not and they do get married what do you notice are some things that may get intensified um, that were existing prior to getting married um, or exacerbated mm. at that time? Yeah. Um, this one, you know, I think certain things start to come to a head when you start to realize that maybe your expectation hasn't been met or you're confronted with that disappointment and it's not just like going away. The, the happy feelings of being married isn't like glossing over the problems just enough to satisfy you. Uh, And I think that tends to happen in a number of areas. Like, you know, finances can be a big one that really intensifies because Some people have expectation that, you know, when you get married, your finances are joined and what's yours is mine, what's mine is yours. And not everyone shares that, you know, value. And so depending on what your individual financial circumstances were, that often kind of comes to a head when you actually get married and have to decide, okay, do we pile all of our money into one account or do we maintain some level of independence there? So I think finances is a big one. Uh, we've talked a lot about in-laws, but I think that's a big one, especially because their expectations of you often change. And so like, however they imagined you to be as a married person and like welcoming someone new into the family or vice versa, I think that kind of intensifies uh, with marriage. Um I think like issues around sex, especially if they already existed prior to getting married and one or both had the expectation that once we got married, you know, we can't keep our hands off of each other. And that may be the case for some time, but whatever the core root of that issue was from the beginning, well, that still exists. And so that's something that really like tends to get um, highlighted with marriage. Um, I don't know. Can you all think of any others? I can definitely relate to the finances one. And I talked about this on, on the podcast before, um, was a self-care topic about, um, how like, I, I'm not the, I'm not the saver and I'm like, let's 
let's do fun things with our money. Um, (laughs) but, um, but when my husband and I did get married, I, we, we were seeing it as our money, um, going forward. I mean, and even before that, cause we were living together. So it was really like not a huge shift, but, um, but there was still that like, okay, well now we're married. So, <laughs> um, but I uncomfortably, you know, went to a financial planner with my husband and like figured out our whole like long-term plan and, that that made things so much easier to like look long term to mm-hmm. then understand where we're at now and how um even if I'm not the you know quote unquote sa- one who saves in the relationship and like the one who wants to splurge on things or one the one that wants to plan vacations that like now I know like what's actually possible and like I can actually build the practicality into my impulsivity (laughs) and i'm not like an impulse shopper or anything okay let's not all like make assumptions here um (laughs) but um but yeah so that was definitely a a a change that i experienced Mm -hmm. and for the better yeah it's not a like sexy conversation but if or romantic conversation right but you kind of need to have it if you're going to continue on this journey together. Uh, and even as you were talking, I thought of a few more, like moving in together. If you've not lived together prior to getting married, that's a huge one that like has a tendency to combust, just depending on what your habits are, right? And like it, combining your life with someone, whatever your cleanliness expectations are, and like how you operate. I can't tell you how many conversations about like dishes being done at night before instead of in the morning and like how though or laundry, you know, how those things tend to come up. So I think that's a big one. Uh, relationships with friends and like boundaries, that one kind of intensifies because maybe you have friends of the opposite sex or people who used to call you at different times of night where now like it brings into question your boundaries and like what it means for your marriage and how you safeguard that. Um, Or even romance, like that romance is just going to continue just like we're dating without actually having to like do the dating romantic dating part. You know, those are some things that tend to like cause issues early on. Mm hmm. Well, and along with with um, fr- friends and boundaries is just your your independent social life lives, yeah. um, and and does that happen, or what's the expectation around that, or how that gets navigated, discussed, like where where that all falls in? Like there are so many aspects because, as you said, like kind of early on. You're, you're two individuals, the, the relationship is just one part of your life. And so you still have this whole, whole other life going on um, that you need to kind of attend to um, amongst your relationship, your life together. And, and trying to figure out where it all fits or how it all fits, it gets really, really complicated. And those things, I guess, do shift over time. I'm, I'm just thinking my, my husband and I are in, in this year, celebrating our 10 year anniversary. And, um, and we've been together. For- 
<laughs> Thanks. Um, and we've been together for about 15. And I am just thinking about, well, A, who I was and how I was at the starting point of our relationship and all the way, all the peaks and valleys and and things that have come up or just just through me me and Amy independently developing and growing into an adult a fully formed adult hopefully at this point um and the same with him that we've we've independently navigated so many changes and challenges um that of course impact our our relationship and so those are things that you can't necessarily plan for um like the unexpected but you can plan for unexpected things will happen and how do we kind of create an, a good enough foundation around communication or trust or whatever so that when these things happen like you said kind of safeguarding um that we can weather the storm that will inevitably come like bring you know it's going to rain bring an umbrella like yes i love that i absolutely i mean i'm a, a huge advocate for that because you're right you don't always know what's coming but you know something is coming mm -hmm. no one who's been married for any period of time mm -hmm. it can, is going to tell you that like yeah no we've never encountered either lying that is untrue <laughs> uh it's just not realistic whether you like experience a loss or and that could be like of someone important to you that could be of a job mm -hmm. that could be you know what i mean of a, a pregnancy that you were expecting like there are so many things that can come into play uh, moving and I'm one I've moved a lot I didn't totally expect that you know I knew that I maybe needed to have some flexibility but I wouldn't have thought that I would have moved as much as I have and so like inevitably you're going to get thrown some curveballs it's just it's a part of the game you're going to get thrown curveballs individually like mm -hmm. if you just do life long enough you're going to hit some like peaks and valleys so you have to expect in a relationship you got two people, you're definitely going to hit like some rough spots. Mm -hmm. What do you think have been some good indicators of relationships that are ready to take the next step into marriage? Uh, well, two willing participants or, you know, two people who want to be married, that's a good start. Uh, and who know why they want to be married, you know, because our our reasons for wanting to be married are definitely influenced by like what we've experienced, what we've witnessed, uh, what we think is like attainable, you know. So I think two people who are clear on their reasons for wanting to be married, uh, that's a really good start. And if you have some skills around effective communication and how to resolve conflict, especially when you're upset or you're not like emotionally regulated uh, and some practice in that area that can be like extremely helpful. Um, yeah, I think if you are ready to communicate about all the things we discussed, your expectations, what you want, what you need, like that's also a really good start. Um, yeah, and I, and I think if your views of marriage on a general level, like a general perspective, are aligned, that's also pretty important. You know, some people view marriage more so as like a business decision or relationship, and then other people want more of the romance and like that side of it. And some people, of course, 
understand that it can be both, but if your overall view of marriage, let's just say there's like a, a spiritual component or religious component that your partner maybe doesn't share, that can be really challenging. So if you have like a general sense of what marriage means to you and that's aligned with your partners, then I think that's that's a good time to consider it. I also, I, I don't uh, have a hard time frame of like, if you've been in a relationship this long, you should get married. But I do think if you've not been in a relationship for two years yet, you might be leaving a little bit on the table to make that decision. Like you're, you're, it's a bit of a risk just in the sense of like, you're still getting to know a person and you're still kind of seeing how they navigate, you know, holidays and life events and work and like balancing everything. So I think if you've hit that, you know, two ish year mark, then you've seen enough or know enough of the person to at least be clear on whether or not you want to like continue long term. So sometimes I think time can also be a factor. So are you a proponent of love is blind? (laughs) (laughs) Are you talking about the show or are you talking about like (laughs) the show? I have not seen enough of the show to have opinions on that. Um, I think love can be blind. I mean, who doesn't get like swept up in the exciting elements of being in a relationship? But um, ultimately those blinders eventually, eventually come off. Yeah. Well, I, I did, I did hear, and I swear it's not, the place I heard it was not on TikTok. I heard it from a reputable source that I, I just can't reference right now. Um, but I did hear some research around that the honeymoon phase is actually the first two years of a relationship. And so that's like kind of lines up with what you're saying. Like it's it's really kind of through and maybe after that point that you've like really gotten the full 360 around like who who a person is, um, how they engage, how you engage with one another. Like it does take time to to kind of see see that, experience that, and figure out if that kind of aligns well or is com- or you're compatible. Um, so there there is something to that. See, I didn't even know that, but I I mean I agree, you know, because you start out with a person's representative, you know, mm-hmm. you get like hopefully the best side of them. And there may be much more like patient or agreeable or, you know, then, then maybe they actually are on a long-term basis. So if you can see how they navigate, you know, two birthdays and two of your birthdays and two of, you know, two, whatever, Valentine's days and two uh, summers and two, you know, like you're getting a much fuller view of who a person is and, that is enough time for some of that um, just, you know, romanticized view of them mm-hmm. to for there to be some enough cracks in it for you to know, like, OK, this this is still a human being. They're not mm-hmm. perfection, even if mm-hmm. we think they're perfect for us. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps it is my um, my own 
effort to want to put a bow on this. Plus my bias around, I'm a, I'm a big um, champion of (laughs) marriage. Um, But I do, but I, I think that kind of what the, the reason that, that we're kind of talking about premarital counseling and, and I imagine why you are a, um, like an advocate for it is because when people can kind of come together, come to a common understanding, come to a shared, shared understanding that, it is really helpful and can be enjoyable and really fulfilling to have someone to do life with um, that when, when you are kind of weathering your own independent storm, knowing that no, actually knowing that you have a support in a, in, in a partner and like that, it feels like a partnership is worth it. Like we've been talking about how, how hard it is, but um, like there is a payoff for the most part, if you've, you've you've both done kind of the hard hard work and continue as you were saying like day in and day out week in week out year in year out to continue to do that work there is there is a payoff and that that foundation starts getting built before before marriage absolutely i'm so glad you said that because i do agree and i mean we we've all chosen to be married right mm-hmm. so like Obviously, we think there's some benefit to that and some reason that we wanted that. And I'm glad you point that out because, you know, it's it's coming to me now. We're all women here. Right. And we're talking about like how we can romanticize marriage. And then oftentimes we get into it and it's a lot of work. And for men or many men, there may be a different experience where maybe they don't romanticize marriage. And there's actually a lot of like fear around it or a lot of expectation of the negative. And so like to kind of counter that, you're right. There's a lot of good in being married or being in partnership with another person uh, and to not have to just do everything on your own if that's not like the life that you see for yourself. Mm -hmm. So of course, I agree. I love love and love relationships. And that's why I I want to help couples do that harder part of the work so that they can benefit from all that they've invested, you know, so that they can make that withdrawal. I just want to, you know, remind you to put the investment in so that when you go and hit the buttons, something actually comes out, right? (laughs) And that is the, the upside of it is if you invest in it, if you water it, it will grow. And there's a lot of good to come from that. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I think you have have wrapped that up quite nicely. But before we totally end, uh, are, is there anything else you want people to know? Anything else you think will be helpful for them to know when it comes to, I guess, marriage in general, but also premarital therapy? Yeah. Um... I mean, I guess I'm I'm kind of echoing Amy's point, but it it's worth it. Like there is so much good that can come from it. And you can save yourself a lot of like trouble or doing a lot of damage to the relationship in the process if you seek out support, right? It doesn't have to necessarily take a negative turn before things like get better. You don't have to have as low lows. Uh, you can actually get some support in how to prepare for what's to come, how to navigate what you're dealing with. And so I think it's absolutely worth it. I think it's um, 
something that if you are considering marriage, I, I honestly, I, I can't see a reason not to do it. You know, that's my opinion as a, as a couples therapist, but I think that there's just so much good to come from taking that time to invest in your relationship, to understand your partner, to work on how you communicate so that you can benefit from having this loving, lasting, you know, marriage. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that you wrapped it up in that way, Carly, because I think there is still such a stigma around cu- going to couples therapy and that it means that there's something wrong with your relationship and, and who would want to put themselves in a, in a position to sign up for like, oh my God, is there a problem in my relationship because I'm getting premarital counseling? That's not what this is. It's really about increasing the health of, of your relationship um, and the wellness of your relationship um, and just building, strengthening that, building on that. And as, and ho- ideally, like this is probably at, for this point in your relationship, the most in love you've ever been. Um, and so mm-hmm. like, it's a great time to enter into like some of these more challenging conversations. Um, Cause you have that, that love still there. And like you said, you still like each other. So um, yeah, I, I, I love that, that premarital counseling exists. And um, yeah, I just, I, again, I, I see, I see so much upside. I don't, I don't think I see any downside actually. I don't either. All right. Well, before we wrap up for today, we're going to end our episode with one final question for you, Carly. And it's how we end all of our episodes. And it's because this is really important to us. Uh, We want people to see that there are diverse, attainable and sustainable ways to practice self-care. So we're going to ask each other what's on our self-care menu, and we encourage our listeners to do the same. Um, But first, we'll ask you, um, and I know you've listened to the podcast before, but you can either choose an appetizer, main course, a dessert, or a three-course meal, or multiple if you need it. Okay, yes. Uh, I did think about this. I think one, I don't know if it's considered an an appetizer or like maybe, maybe a snack. But one that I've been trying to do every day, and I've been pretty consistent with it, uh, that some people will probably laugh at and others might relate. But I am a person who loves doing Wordle. I really I like any sort of brain game or like little, you know, things that kind of get you thinking. Uh, So I am going to continue my Wordle streak and try if I get it today, I think I'll be at 80 days in a row. That's my longest streak ever. So I'm super excited about it. I hope that that's not on wood that I get it today. But there's something so satisfying about like getting it right and adding to like my streak. I don't know. So that's one small thing that I'm going to do. And back to the, I think, our first conversation about things you want versus things you need. Uh, I am going to go to bed and not just fall asleep. I like to fall asleep, like, maybe on the couch or, like, while I'm doing something else. But I need to go to bed so that I can actually get a full night's rest. And that one I have not been as successful with this week. So I'm going to commit to that today. Oh, I love that going yeah. to bed. And I also your love Wordle. Your- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love your commitment. I have not played in so long, but now I want to play again. <laughs> Come on, Catherine, catch up. 
what's on your menu, Catherine? Um, <clears throat> my okay. So my menu, I I figured it out actually during our water break because I um I had a book available to me on Libby that I we were talking about in our in our what is our book Slack channel called? Revive Reads. Oh, okay, yeah. In that one, I was like, oh, okay. All of my friends have been talking about. A Court of Thorns and Roses and how steamy it is. And there's like mix of fantasy. And so I had uh, put it on hold on Libby. And during the water break, I, I picked up my phone and saw that it was available. So I borrowed it and now I have it. So that is on my self-care menu today. Um, reading that tonight before bed. Um, I had that in my Libby, um, whatever, hold list and it was just like thou a thousand weeks or something so it was like there like on on hold forever and and i um and i finally just bit the bullet and i got it <laughs> got it on kindle and i was sharing in that in our revive reads like slack chat like i'm in a reading rut so i re- remembered that i've been waiting for this book so i'm i'm going to i'm going to hop on board with <laughs> with you for that yay oh so exciting um, but what's on your, what's on your menu? Um, so it's similar to kind of what I, so I guess it's things that I want to keep doing cause they've been really helpful to me. And one of them, I want to shout out our colleague, um, actually, um, one of our, um, uh, clinicians on our team, Elise McCandless, um, she has such a wonderful practice where she spends a lot of time just paying attention and um, kind of noticing these small moments and experiences that provide her with gratitude. And, and they can be like, you know, feeling the wind on my face or things like that, just like beautiful small moments. And then at the end of every month, she kind of like goes through each day and like kind of picks out kind of the, the I guess, gratitude highlights of the month. And she shares them. Um, on her, on her Instagram, which I am so grateful that she does. Cause, um, it's really inspired me to really spend a lot more time noticing. And, um, and I've, you know, I I've, I've shared here that I, I was really feeling unwell for a while and I'd been like right up against burnout, probably like a burnout. I was probably burnt out if I'm being really honest. And so much of that had to do with me not slowing down, not really staying grounded, not really staying present. And so I was trying to find like a bite, bite-sized ways to kind of get myself back into taking care of myself or and ways to stay grounded. So thank you, Elise, for reminding me of this practice. And so I've been really just paying, paying more attention. And I flew to Miami this morning and um, I was sitting I well, a things I noticed that I felt great, grateful for were that um, I had no one sitting next to me on the plane, um, but there was a, a gentleman like in the in the window seat. I was on the aisle, and he was so wonderfully kind, and he like plugged in my laptop um, to the outlet. I like couldn't reach it, and so he helped. At another point, he he like took out gum, and I like happened to just hear the noise and and look over, and he like offered me a piece. So he was just like very kind. And, um, and even, you know, there was kind of like an annoying passenger in front of me and, um, and, a one of the flight attendants kind of like exchanged a note, like a knowing glance with me, um, that I like, again, kind of 
really stopped and appreciated just like these connections that I was making with, with these people that I, I have no idea what their names even are. And so that has been, has been, been bite-sized, been appetizer sized, but like also really nourishing. Um, so I'm going to keep doing that. I love that. I, I need to adopt that one. I love that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so what, so after you notice and or like after Elise does that, she writes it down and then she like mm-hmm. puts it in somewhere. Yeah. We'll have to ask her more about it, but what I, cause I, I've, I've noticed she's done this for a while. So I believe her practices that she, um, you know, writes, writes it down every day. I don't know where. And then at the end of each month, she reflects on like the gratitudes across the month and kind of picks out some, like one of the gratitudes that she, um, that she shared, um, Elise, I hope it's okay. I'm sharing this is that at our holiday party across, across the street, you could see into, into like a dance studio's window and you could watch like dancers kind of like performing. And that was one of the gratitudes. And it's like, oh, I remember that happening, but like, I didn't stop and notice, like really notice or appreciate like having that in insight or like having that window into someone else's life, literally. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. And so, yeah. Thank you, Elise, for that. It just, it again, reminded me of just like the significance of all of these moments that we might not pay attention to or might take for granted. Yeah. Okay. We should all steal that one. That's <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that wraps us up for this week. Um, Carly, thank you again so much for, for being here, for talking to us all about couples and marriage and premarital counseling. Um, but that's not all from Carly. Um, Carly is going to be leading a, a group coming up in February along with Debbie Steckler, another team member on Revive's clinical team. And it will be all about communication and conflict resolution. It starts February 21st and more information to come. If you want to learn more about that and follow along with Revive in general, you can follow Revive at Revive CFW on Instagram, um, on our website at revivecfw.com. Um, if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify, um, please give us a follow, um, subscribe. We would love to hear some feedback um, through any any kind of rating. You can also send us an email at wishingyouwell at revivecfw.com. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you want to hear about, what's resonating with you, what you want to hear more of, what guests you might want. So let us know. Um, but until then, we will see you next time. And we are wishing you well.